0: Welcome to the Kanoi Church Podcast. We're glad that you're interested in connecting through this teaching time. If you'd like to connect further, feel free to reach out to us through our website, kanhoyechurch.org. For now, enjoy this teaching from Kanoi Church, where our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. morning. We're going to take a break from Lamentations this week. Uh, I just have some things on my mind that I wanted to, to share in this devotional. And, and the thing that keeps crossing my mind that I keep thinking about is the question, um, what's so great about normal? Uh, you know, I think Easter is on the horizon for me and uh, And hopefully it is for all of you. Hopefully you're all kind of looking ahead and realizing that we're getting closer and closer to easter and um And I keep thinking about what it must have been like waiting for the arrival of the Messiah. You know for the Jews of the day in the Old Testament, they had this this order of priests, and by the time Jesus arrives on the scene, uh, we have what we, we call Pharisees and Sadducees and you know they 're the ones who are doing the teaching in the synagogues with the rabbis they 're the ones who are keeping the law and the order that the Jews live by all the customs and traditions and making sure the sacrifices are being made uh, and they're they're sort of the keepers of the law that might be a really good way to think about them and and they also are kind of thought of as the the most holy they're, they're the most um the most righteous uh, they 're the ones that have to be purified before they can even make a sacrifice on behalf of anybody else so I think if I'm a Jew in the first century and I'm waiting for the Messiah to arrive, I would almost come to the conclusion that the Messiah is going to be sort of a a, a, a perfect version of one of the priests or a, or a priest to the nth degree or something. I guess I would just come to the conclusion. Jesus is going to be a, a, a version of, of priest. He's going to hold all the things that the priest hold to be valuable. He'll hold valuable. And, um, if the priests are strict, Jesus will be stricter. And if the priests are gracious, then he'll be more gracious. If the priests are angry, then God, Jesus, the Messiah, would be more angry. I just make all these assumptions that it's like it's a Pharisee to the nth degree. And I think that's normal. Um, and I think even today, some of us live in a world where that's exactly what we think. We have a picture of Jesus or of the Messiah or of God that is prim and proper. Everything in its place, uh, nothing out of order, um, perfectly presented. And yet, as I read through the Gospels, that's just not the picture or the story that I hear about who Jesus is or who he was or or even the things that he valued. There's a story in Matthew 12, and um, Jesus is is walking through a field with his disciples and they're hungry. And, and there's times when Jesus in his ministry had no food and so as they walk through the field, they, they start picking some of the crop from the field and, and the Pharisees that are there that see him, that maybe they're traveling with him or that maybe they hear about it, but they accuse him of breaking the law because the law said you do no work on the Sabbath day and it happened to be the Sabbath. And Jesus argues with them. He says "There's there's one that is here that is greater than the temple itself. He says if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you wouldn't have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees kind of live in this world where it's almost like the Sabbath rules them rather than they rule the Sabbath. Uh, They live in this world where the Sabbath rules God rather than God ruling the Sabbath. They live in a world where the, the rules and the regulations and the rituals have become so important that they're actually more important than than God is. They're more powerful than God is. And Jesus sets that right. He says, look, actually the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath, uh, the Messiah, the Christ, um, God incarnate uh, is the Lord of the Sabbath. He goes on from there and he comes to the synagogue. When he gets to the synagogue, there's a man in the synagogue with a shriveled hand. And when he gets in there, the Pharisees are looking to try and trap him, to get him in trouble. And so they say, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus looks at them and says, look, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't you grab it and lift it out? And isn't that work? So wouldn't that be wrong? But is isn't the right thing to do to save your sheep? And he says, how much more valuable is a man than a sheep? He said, therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he says to the man with the withered hand, who I think kind of just faded to the background at this point, he says, stretch out your hand. When the man stretches his hand out, the the hand is healed. It's whole. It's no longer shriveled. This, this upsets the Pharisees more than you can imagine. They begin to plot to kill Jesus, and so Jesus leaves. The normal thing, I think, for the Messiah to do when he shows up is to be a Pharisee to the nth degree. Unless, of course, that is, that the Pharisees these priests have gotten it wrong, that they've misjudged what's been important to God the whole time. And so maybe, maybe the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Maybe the rules were made for man, not man for the rules. And so while the rules have become so important that they can't see past them, Jesus is there to set that record straight. Think about the story of the prodigal son, and and perhaps that's one that you're familiar with. Maybe you know that story, but the story goes, a short version is that there's a man with two sons and one of the sons comes to the father and says, give me my inheritance early. And in our culture today, that would probably be an odd question, but it doesn't have the same sort of weight that it carried in Jesus's day. Essentially what that means in Jesus's day is, I wish you were dead father. I'd rather, instead of having a relationship with you, instead of being with you, I would rather have the money that I would get when you die. And so the father gives his son his inheritance. and The son runs off to a distant land and he ends up squandering it. He doesn't spend it wisely. He doesn't invest it. He doesn't make more of himself. He squanders it. He has no money left. A famine hits the foreign land where he is and he is left to eat the same food as the pigs. And when he looks down at the food the pigs are eating and he he thinks to himself, you know what? In my father's house, the servants eat better than this. Why don't I go home and I can never be a son again because I've definitely, I've cut that relationship in such a way that, that my, my father would just never be able to take me back as a, as a son. So I'll go back as a servant and at least then I'll have food to eat. And so the son travels home and scripture tells us that the father was waiting and there's all sorts of pictures that we could paint of what it means to be a father waiting, but suffice it to say, the father had been waiting for his son to return home, probably hoping and praying that his son would return home safely. And, and when the son is still a long way off, but the father sees that oh so familiar figure, that silhouette that he's known because he's raised that son and he loves that son and he hopes that son would carry on his name and his family someday, would take over the farm perhaps. When he sees that silhouette off in the distance, the father runs to him. The other thing that we don't really understand culturally often is that running is a big no-no. For a a Jewish man, a respectable Jewish man to go running? No, That's, that's ridiculous. And yet, the father casts aside all of these normal things, these normal notions, these procedures and rituals that we we think should be important. And he throws his arms around his son and kisses him. So he's already breached decorum. He's already run to meet his son and now he's hugging him and he he gives his son the best robe in the house. The the robe, the best robe is the father's robe, gives him his own shirt and and then he gives him a ring that says you're back in the family and then, you know, slaves servants didn't have sandals and so the father is essentially saying when he gives him shoes to put on his feet or sandals on his feet he's saying i'm not going to take you back as a servant i refuse to you're my son you've always been my son you've never ceased to be my son even when you ran away and then the father throws a party kills a calf and um, throws a party to welcome his son home and then, and then we have this other son. You know, there's two sons in this story, and we, we we focus on that first son so much of the time, because that's it's an amazing story. But, but there's this other son, this older son, who when the young son went off and squandered everything, the older son stayed at home and he he worked so hard in the field. He did everything right. He followed all the rules and the regulations. Everything that he thought was important, he did to the nth degree. And then when the son who squanders everything, who who never followed the rules, comes home. The father throws a party for him, and the older son's jealous. He says, look, I've done everything you've ever wanted me to do, but you've never done anything like this for me. This is ridiculous. And he refuses to go into the party. And so when he refuses to go in, the father goes out to him. That's how scripture records it. We we know that the father ran to the young son. He goes out to the young son, and the father also goes out to the older son. Now, Jesus tells this story. It's a parable. And in the parable, the older son is supposed to represent the Pharisees. So we have Father God who willingly throws off decorum and all the normal stuff and runs to the young son. And we have Father God who throws off the decorum and all the normal stuff and goes out to the older son because he loves them so much. Sometimes you and I can get caught up in all these rules and rituals that just probably don't matter as much to God as we think. And, and I think it's really sad that, that, that we end up being caught in that sort of picture. I think the story gives us the instruction to love others passionately and to treat others gracefully, graciously. How passionately? So passionately that you run to them when they repent, when they return, when they come home. How graciously? So graciously that even though they squandered everything, they're yours. So graciously that even though they stayed and did everything right and they got jealous and upset, they're still yours. They're still your family. They're still your your son. You picture for yourself a young girl, somewhere between the ages of three and five. You know, I have a I have a little three year old at home, and let's just say that a little girl colors for you a picture from her coloring book. And you look at it, and it's it's not that she can't stay in the lines when she colors in the coloring book. It's just that it hasn't really occurred for her to stay in the lines. It's not about the lines. You know she looks at the, the page, she sees the picture of her favorite cartoon character or, or something like that, and, and, and she starts putting color on the page, and the color is all over the place. I mean, who cares about color? or shading, or lines, or symmetry. I mean, the little girl is never worried about lines. It's never even crossed her mind that the lines are there for her to color within. Symmetry and, and, and realism, they just have no place in her picture. And the little girl finishes it up and she hands it to you. Now, what do you say? What do you say? Well, anybody that has kids probably says, you say, thank you for such a pretty picture. This is, so special to me, and it's obvious that you took a long time to work on this. But in our heads, we think, "Oh my goodness, this is awful, right?" This did you only have a blue crayon? I mean, what about green and yellow and red? I mean, my favorite color is is black. So how about some of that? You know, none of the marks are even close to the lines, let alone being in the lines. I mean, is there something wrong with this child's hand eye coordination? I mean, take it back, take it back, little girl, and do it again. Do it, do it right. I mean. Is that what we do to one another? Mike Yaconelli is a is an author, speaker, and specifically works with youth leaders and, and youth. and And he said in one of his books, he said, you know, the most of my life, I heard the message loud and clear that Christianity was about coloring within the lines and coloring well. If I was a good Christian, if I Love Jesus, I wanted to please him, then I would read my Bible, I prayed, go to church, I'd get better and better at coloring, and eventually I'd be able to draw close to the perfect drawing. But if we're honest, how many of our drawings, how many of our colorings still look like that little girl's? Just a bunch of scribbles. Not able to stay on the lines. And what if the day comes that we hand our picture to God and and God says something like, Wow, I love this. It's so obvious that you love purple. I I love where this stroke is going. It, It shows so much passion when it runs right off the page. It's not realistic, but that's because I made you to color abstract. I mean... I'm not suggesting that God doesn't have a standard. I'm not saying that nothing matters to him. I think perfection is his standard. That's the example that Jesus sets for us i think I think everything matters to him, but every single day each of us falls short of that standard in some way, every day. But what if God's grace is so outside our comprehension that All we can do, honestly, is stand back in awe. What if it's not about coloring in the lines, but it's about experiencing the joy of coloring? What if God sees beyond the scribble and he sees into the heart of the scribbler? What if it's just like a father who runs to his misbegotten, deplorable, disgraceful, and wonderfully beautiful son If that's the way that God looks at us and that's the way he interacts with us, then I have to imagine that he desires for us to interact with one another that way too. Maybe sometimes what's normal isn't as great as we think it is. And maybe some of the things we've been told are normal don't actually honor God the way we thought they did. So I suppose this morning i want you to ask the question what's so great about normal have i been trying my whole life my whole spiritual life my whole spiritual journey to fit into some box i just can't fit into have i been trying to follow a bunch of arbitrary rules that no one's ever really explained to me why i'm supposed to follow them have i been so intent on coloring inside the lines that i've judged every other person around me who has been outside the lines just a little bit have i only seen people for the scribbles that they make and i've been missing the heart of the scribbler and if that's you i'm not here to tell you that you have gotten it all wrong and you need to repent i'm here to tell you that we all need to repent because we've all gotten it wrong every single one of us and honestly we often get it wrong in how we treat one another we could do a better job we should do a better job, and, and we need to start doing a better job today. This isn't something we can put off. What we need to start doing is praying that God would bless us with eyes to see into the heart of the scribbler, not just see the scribbles, not look at their past, not look at their worst day, and see them for scribbles, but to look at who they truly are who God made them to be and see the heart of the Scribbler. Because at the end of the day, that's exactly what God's looking for, the heart of the Scribbler. He's looking for someone that's gonna joyfully color. Will you? So my challenge for you today is to joyfully color. Just for a moment, take a deep breath. And don't worry about all the rules find the joy of coloring. And as you enjoy coloring, some of those rules are going to going to make sense in a whole new way. And you might find that some of those rules, you don't even need them. What if church isn't about dressing up? What if it's not about saying the exact right thing when you come in? What if church is less like a museum and more like a hospital what if it's actually a place that you can be yourself that you can be a mess and rather than be judged or ostracized or kicked out for it there are people there that will love you come around you and lift you up in the midst of it what if church isn't supposed to be about a bunch of pharisees chasing down a teacher saying You can't pick that crop today because it's Sunday. You can't pull a sheep out of a well because it's Sunday. You can't heal a person because it's Sunday. What if the Sabbath was made for us, not us for the Sabbath? Because there's a time that has come when the one who is more important than the temple is here. That's Jesus. I hope you have a wonderful day. This is Pastor Nick. Thanks for listening. I hope something that you heard today was very helpful. If you want to connect with us further, feel free to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, CanoyChurch.org. Sure, I'm glad we're in this together.